Hey, listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! All right. Uh, hello. You want to say you're welcome? Sure. Welcome to the History of Everything. Science. I'm Melinda. I'm Terry. We had to take a little break last week, so we missed a week yes. of, of episode. Yes, I know. Everyone was probably like, where are they? And there's right. probably some Facebook page about us we don't know about, and everyone wanted to know what the details were. Yeah. They were good, guys. Yeah, everything's we're fine. We're just busy. We're just busy. We're just busy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get down to it. All right. So, Miss Terry, for today's episode, we're talking about a topic that's been insanely controversial for over a hundred years: conversion therapy. Mm. <laughs> Heavy sigh. Yes. Conversion therapy, also called reparative therapy, sexual orientation change effort, reintegrative therapy, ex-gay therapy, or simply the gay cure is not just one particular method or process, but a combination of many various tactics, all with the same ultimate goal, to rid a person of his or her homosexuality. And I hate it. Correct, as do I. Um, As we break down the history and the evolution of conversion therapy, we'll see that as the theories on why a person is homosexual change, the methods used to try to ungay people also change. And spoiler alert, any and all attempts to change a person's sexual orientation have been disproven and are considered pseudoscience, i.e. bullshit. I agree. There you go. In fact, it's been shown over and over that all forms of conversion therapy cause a great deal of harm to those who undergo this type of therapy. And I will tell you that throughout this episode, when I use words like treatment and therapy and... You're finger-croning all of them. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm just... I had to come up with words, and I couldn't come up with more words that meant fake bullshit. So I just had to use the words and and go with it. So. So to begin the history lesson, I will remind you of something that we discussed in our episode on the history of sex laws in the U.S. Mm Mm-hmm. In the late 1800s, homosexuality transitioned from being considered a deviant criminal behavior, like punishable by death, Mm -hmm. to more of a medical or psychological illness. So doctors and scientists began trying to figure out how to treat or cure the condition. So the first physician who claimed to have turned a gay man straight was Albert von Schrenk-Notzing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> born in Oldenburg, Germany in 1862. Al, as I'll call him, went on to study at Munich University, where he earned his medical degree in 1888. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what that medical degree is really worth, but while attending... Wait a second. So he was born in 60... 1862. 1862. And he had his and he medical degree. Yep. With his medical degree by 1888. Yep. He was 26. Oh well. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like it would take a little longer than that, but again. Wow. 
you got to hear a little bit more about this guy. Yeah. You'll, you'll understand how he probably did such a smashing job in college. And that was, that was finger-quoted as well. Correct. So while he was in college, he became very interested in hypnotism. So in class, he would try to mesmerize his classmates, as did I, (laughs) and sometimes it actually worked. Mm -hmm. And once he became a doctor, he opened his own practice in Munich, specializing in hypnotic treatment of sexual deviations. Okay. So he's a hypnotist. Yes. Magic. In 1889, at the first International Conference of Hypnotism in Paris... Ole Albert announced that he had successfully cured a gay man. He outlined his treatment modality. It had taken 45 sessions of hypnosis over a four-month period of time, along with a few field trips to a local brothel. Okay. <laughs> but... Let these ladies give you a little tub, you'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. But, Albert stated, it had been a success. The patient became heterosexual. In 1902, he published his research, which claimed that he had also successfully cured 70 other patients of either homosexuality or other sexual perversions. And so began the phenomenon of conversion therapy. Okay. So around 1892, American neurologist and athlete, uh, Graham Hammond, He believed that physical exercise could treat and possibly cure nervous disorders. So he believed that homosexuality was the result of nervous exhaustion, and he believed that riding a bike was the perfect way to restore heterosexuality. Okay. So if you're gay, ride your bike, Uh you'll be straight. And I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, seems legit, right? So. In Chicago in 1899, gynecologist Denslow Lewis theorized that women raised in a more affluent household tended to have increased sensitivity to sexual stimuli. Somehow, this caused them to be homosexual. No idea how that... So if you're leaked. wealthy, you're there, you have a better, better chance. <laughs> right. You have more of a, a chance of being homosexual because... Because you are um, stimulated more easily. Hmm. So I guess if you're poor, your clitoris doesn't work as well. I, maybe. I don't know. Less orgasms. Whatever. Guess, and know. so that makes you gay. Right. Oh, right. Well. So he attempted to cure these women with such things as laxatives, uh, cocaine, okay. yeah, and surgery to fix their faulty clitorises or clitori. 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 Mm-mm. By the 1910s, Researchers and doctors still had not found exactly what led some people to be gay, but theories continued to be conjured up. Austrian doctor Eugen Steinach, who is considered to be the first neuroendocrinologist, he understood that the male hormone was produced in the testicles. Big deal. He theorized that in homosexuals, there was something defective in the testes leading to either less or abnormal male hormones. So, to cure gay men then, he figured it was just a matter of getting them some healthy testes. Healthy testes. Healthy testes. So he transplanted testes from healthy heterosexual males uh, into homosexual males, and according to him, it worked. Hmm. 
I'd like to see the research on that. Right, right. But according to him, that that that's what you needed. Hmm. Take a good, healthy, testy, put it in the gay guy. Now he's straight. That is very invasive. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. In the 1930s, phrenology was the hot new tool in psychiatry. And this is where the shape of a skull, someone's skull, including measurements, angles, and any depressions, was studied and used to find the cause of such abnormalities as homosexuality. So this led to the popularity of using lobotomies to treat or cure these patients. It's estimated that around 18,600 lobotomies were performed between 1936 and 1951, causing significant, as you would expect, trauma and impairment in the victims. So you, okay, 18,600? Correct. Do you think like maybe after, after like six, they'd be like, you know what? think this is working it's doing other things or do you think they just really don't give a shit oh i think they don't give a shit and it so the the point the thing is is you're spending all this time all this research you're coming up with all these different kinds of things Mm -hmm. for just uh, someone's sexual preference correct it's 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 so stupid to us i agree to us to us i agree it should be to everybody. I agree. <laughs> I, just, I, agree. I just don't get it. Yeah. We probably have a cure for cancer if they had used some of that effort and time and, and, and money. And do you think maybe, I'm sorry, I'm just on one right now. But <laughs> do you think like the 40 people that were 40 or 70, you said earlier, that were um, hypnotized. 70. 70 mm-hmm. that were hypnotized and went through, oh, they went like through 45 sessions mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they were paid for these studies? No. Do you think that they were like forced to go there by their families? We'll get to that. Okay, and if that's the case, don't you think at some point they'll go, okay, yeah, you're right, I don't like dick anymore? Yes, just and I think, think that just, that's why it quote unquote worked. Right, it, right? Yes. Right. Yes. <sighs> All right. <laughs> so, for the next couple of decades, medical doctors and mental health providers continued to theorize about causes of homosexuality. So some theories were, it's hereditary. Uh, There's an imbalance between the body and the soul. It's caused by alcoholism or drug addiction. It's attributed to having a strong overprotective mother, which confuses gender roles in the family. Because moms aren't supposed to be strong, dads are. And Mm -hmm. so if you have a strong mom, it fucks your head up. And then you're like, I'm gay. That's why it happens. Uh, The psychological homosexual pathway is blocked by some childhood experience. Uh, It may be due to congenital brain abnormalities or in utero, there's a lack of transport of testosterone from the brain of the male fetus to the testes, affecting sexuality. According to Freaky Freud, Freud, everyone is born bisexual or has the ability to be either homosexual or heterosexual. And each person at some point makes an innate decision to follow one pathway or the other. Which reminds me of the theory that when an egg is fertilized, 
initially they are both male and female right. and then at some point they like morph into one or the other right. mm-hmm. that kind of is what this sounds like to me okay. like you're born with the possibility of both and it's just a waiting game to figure out which way you're going to go right yeah the game of life i agree with you freud yes as doctors came up with ideas as to why people are afflicted with homosexuality they developed cures based on based on this some of the torturous, ineffective, harmful conversion therapies used throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s mostly fell under one of two types, aversion therapy or conversion therapy. So aversion therapy aims to subtract or rid the person of their same-sex attraction. I've never heard of that before. Aversion? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of somebody of the word aversion right right aversion therapy yeah it's like we're gonna show you how bad it is to be attracted to same-sex people so that you'll be straight okay so this allows them room to develop attraction to the opposite sex examples of these treatments include shock treatment harsh chemicals deprivation of needs like food and water threats of physical beatings hormone replacement castration transplantation of sex organs, exorcisms, and lobotomies, all meant to both chemically and psychologically alter the person's sexual orientation. For we'll, no reason other than the fact that people think it's wrong. Yep. For no reason. Yes, you're sick. They said, this person has cancer, we need to fix the cancer. This person has diabetes, fix the diabetes. This person has homosexuality, we need to fix the homosexuality. So let's figure out how to make it better. Conversion therapy, uh, this aimed to create or increase one's attraction to the opposite sex, effectively switching his or her sexual orientation. So it's kind of like positive reinforcement. Some of these methods included shocks to part of the brain that controlled sexual stimuli while they watched heterosexual porn or while prostitutes of the opposite sex performed sex on them. So they shocked their brain to make them feel good while doing these things. So they're like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. I gotcha. Participating in exercises or activities that increase a male's masculinity or a female's femininity, rest and relaxation practices to increase sexual equilibrium, and lots of hired sex workers, as well as arranged marriages and controlled masturbation. I don't like those two words I, together at all. Those two words, <laughs> I, it, I, I don't... Uh, hmm. Sounds like a whole other episode. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Some say that the most popular treatment was developed by Dr. Lewis Max in the 30s using electroshock therapy, shocking the genitals, and inducing vomiting in gay men as they looked at pictures of naked men. So you look at the pictures of naked men, Make shock. Them throw up. Makes you throw up shocks to the genitals it's horrible so you don't want to ever look at gay you don't want to look at naked men this is like like a, a pavlov's dog uh type very much thing so. where you very can much drool exactly yep so eventually the men would be given testosterone injections and the painful shocks and vomiting would be stopped as the men began being shown pornographic pictures of females. So, in 1952, homosexuality was included in the first edition ever of the DSM, 
or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And here it was classified as a sexual deviation. And this effectively stigmatized homosexuality as abnormal and unhealthy. Okay. In 1953, a year later, President Dwight D. Eisenhower banned all homosexuals from holding federal positions. So no gays allowed to work for the government. In the 60s, civil rights, women's rights, and gay rights groups started pushing for the removal of homosexuality from the manual. Pushing for equality and acceptance, the LGBTQ community and their allies pressured elected officials to push for change, and they, they protested outside the annual APA, or American Psychiatric Association, conferences. This actually kind of backfired because the APA used this as proof that the homosexuals were insane and maniacal. In 1972, an LGBTQ-led panel discussed the matter. A member of the APA, Dr. John Fryer, disguised himself in a wig and a Dick Nixon mask, okay. and he identified himself as Dr. Henry Anonymous. Okay. And he said, I am a homosexual, I am a psychiatrist. Pull your courage up by your bootstraps and discover ways in which you, as homosexual psychiatrists, can be appropriately involved in movements which attempt to change the attitudes of both homosexuals and heterosexuals toward homosexuality. Okay. So, he... So he showed up looking like one of rah. the robbers from uh, Point Break. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, I dig it. And then, well, then they pulled his mask off and it was Patrick Swayze. Uh, no, but it was just Dr. Fryer. Oh. So, while the diagnosis was not removed that year, Fryer's speech seemed to be a turning point. The following year, at the 73 conference, more speeches were made. Arguments were made that there had not truly been an official definition of the term mental illness. Also, it was pointed out that many homosexuals were employed, active members of society, who did not exhibit social or functional impairment, that they were not abnormal. Finally, the diagnosis of homosexuality was removed from the DSM as of the seventh printing of the second edition. So it was in and then it was out. Good. So after this pivotal decision, the medical community began a complete 180. Some doctors who'd been practicing conversion therapy began speaking out against it. Gerald Davison, a renowned psychologist, had been known for developing Playboy therapy, a conversion therapy technique where gay men underwent counter-conditioning. Here, the men were taught to associate sexual pleasure with pictures of women in Playboy magazine. Okay. And negative feelings were associated with thoughts of naked men. Later, in 1976, Davison reversed his position and became an outspoken opponent of all conversion therapy stating, quote, stop offering therapy to help homosexuals change and concentrate instead on improving the quality of their interpersonal relationships. Hey, I like that guy. Exactly. That's exactly. what I was saying. He said it in a much better way. He's been saying this whole time. Exactly. Oh, doc. However, while homosexuality was no longer listed as a mental illness, and as doctors generally came to discontinue practicing conversion treatments, a new era began. Religious, 
ultra-conservative groups started organizing their own conversion therapy groups. Okay. Yeah, those are my favorite. Right. These are my favorite. So this is where I have to stop for just a second. Mm -hmm. So let's talk for a minute, you brought it up earlier, about why people were being treated in the first place. So I had always assumed that the people who were subjected to conversion therapy were there by force. Mm -hmm. Like either their parents forced them into it, or they were patients in asylums who were involuntarily subjected to torture. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this did happen, and some of the people were definitely unwilling participants. But I learned that a lot, maybe even most of the people, especially in the later 1900s, actually sought out the treatments. So to be clear, it's still not to say that homosexual people were sick, Really, it's more of a reflection on our fucked up society because gay and queer people were told that they were freaks, abominations, sinners, that they were, there was something wrong with them, like very wrong with them. They were made to feel shame, guilt, and self-hatred, especially those who attended church or were members of a religious affiliation. They wanted to be good people. They wanted to be fixed or at least learn to deal with the feelings of being an outcast. That makes sense. Right. You know, it makes sense that they would right. be like, well, we do it kind of like, oh, this is, is this normal for you? This whatever ailment it is. No, it's mm -hmm. not normal. You shouldn't. Right. You know. Right. Exactly. Or he even like a that color, whatever it might be. Right. Or like, even so a personality see, trait. Yeah. You know, if people are like, God, you're so mean, you're so mean. You're like, I need to find somebody who can teach yes. me how to not be mean. Right. You interrupt people all the time. Oh, I need to work on that. Right. Or, um... Nobody wants to be around you be. because you interrupt all the time. Right. Okay, I'm going to learn to not interrupt. Right. That, nobody yeah. nobody wants to be around you because you're gay. Okay, I'm going to see if I can fix that. I don't no want to be gay. Nobody wants to be around you because you bring the room down because you're depressed. Exactly. Or whatever, yes. Exactly And right. I'm not saying... I don't believe that. <laughs> Enter Michael Bussey. Mm-hmm. Mm According to Michael, he knew that he was gay from a very early age. He dealt with verbal and physical bullying all through school, and he wanted nothing more than to not be gay. Gotcha. He tells the saddest story on his website about how he went to the library looking for answers and had to have the books brought from a locked cabinet because they were about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And he read that his parents must have caused his homosexuality by abusing him or allowing him to be molested. And none of that was true. I mean, he was like, no, so not he, true. he hadn't been molested no. and his parents hadn't no. abused him? Correct. But according to the books, that's, that's what does it. So, right. you know. So as a high school senior, he became a born-again Christian. And later he found a mega church to attend in Anaheim, California, where he, for the first time, finally admitted to being gay. He was told that if he prayed hard enough, that God would miracle him into a straight man. Michael and his friend, Jim Casper, founded EXIT, which is short for Ex-Gay Intervention Team. So EXIT was meant to be a place where Christian gay men could find support. Neither Michael nor Jim had any formal training, but they offered individual counseling and they led a support group. The two became minor celebrities, appearing on TV, radio shows, uh, and the like, to discuss their treatments and how they'd become ex-gays themselves. Mm -hmm. No longer gay. So, small similar groups were popping up all around the country. In September of 1976, 
Michael's church hosted an ex-gay conference where it was decided to create a coalition of the ministries, which was named Exodus. Those who wanted to pray away the gay and learn how to rid themselves of homosexuality flocked to Exodus. Michael himself claimed to be an ex-gay. He married a woman. He reported he no longer had gay intentions until 1979 when he and fellow Exodus leader Gary Cooper left the organization, divorced their wives, and became a couple. Huh. So, right. (laughs) Years later, after Gary, his husband, passed away from AIDS, Michael became one of Exodus's most vocal critics, declaring conversion therapy is not only ineffective, but indescribably harmful. And this is the Michael Bussey. Yes. So, uh, by the way, I was wrong. Sorry to all the people that um, <laughs> that I tried to cure. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not cured either. And I'm not cured. Just kidding. Yeah. Right. So, over the years, there have been multiple religious ex-gay ministries who have claimed to be able to cure homosexuality through prayer and behavioral therapy, usually using terms like reparative therapy. There were gay conversion camps where methods included isolating the individual from their family and friends, having them pray for long periods of time, verbally berating them, like in your face, yelling, saying things like how sick and demented they were and how they were going to hell, and God hated this about them, Um, and learning proper gender roles, like uh, wearing makeup and how to play football, which is just so dumb. Over 700,000 LGBTQ plus people have had some form of conversion therapy over the years. I know. Okay, so let's look at some of the biggest names in the ex-gay ministry industry. Okay. So, John Smid. Mm. Um, He'd been married to a woman for six years and he had two sons when he came out as gay. He divorced his wife and started dating men, but soon found that he felt that he needed to change. He reached out to Focus on the Family, which is an ex-gay ministry under Exodus. He was actually offered a position there, so he moved to California. He ended up working for Love in Action from 1987 to 2008. He married his second wife in 1988, and during his 18 years there, he practiced what he preached. He did not listen to music other than gospel. He did not watch movies or go to theaters. He did not wear clothes that may be considered feminine or gay, and he had no close male friends. That's, okay. that's how you become not gay. That's how you, okay. mm-hmm. In 2004, he developed Refuge, a conversion therapy program for teens. In 2008, Smid resigned from the program, spoke out against conversion therapy, divorced his wife in 2009, married his current husband Larry in 2014. He later said that he could not recall a single gay man who became straight in all of his time with the program. That's a lot of that's a that's a lot that's a lot of paperwork. Right, <laughs> you're all in, right. and right. then you're like, but it's, it just kind of it just goes to show. I mean, he was with that what eighty-seven to two thousand eight. You can all do the math. He worked there for a long time. A long time. And yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, John Polk. He was a homosexual man from Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh-huh. while attending Ohio State, the Ohio State the, oh, University. Yeah. Can you say that again? While attending the Ohio State <laughs> University, 
John sought help from a pastor who told him that God loved him, but didn't love his homosexuality, mm -hmm. obviously. <clears throat> he pointed him to Exodus. He went as fast as he could, he threw himself into the program, and after a few years, he was no longer gay. Mm, okay. Fixed him. He married an ex-lesbian from the program, okay. and they had three sons. The couple became the face of ex-gay ministries. They were on talk shows, and they spoke at many conferences, and John claimed that he no longer had any homosexual thoughts or urges. He was fully repaired. He also became the vice president of Exodus slash chairman of the board until he resigned in 2003. At that point, he moved his family, his wife and his sons to Oregon and he became a chef. Okay. Eventually, 10 years later in 2013, he divorced his wife and publicly announced that he actually had been gay all along and no, one, no longer wanted to live a lie. He has now apologized to all those survivors who he had harmed over the years. It was only after he came out that he learned how much damage he had actually caused. People started sending him hate mail, describing their horrible depression and self-loathing when, no matter how hard they tried or how much they prayed, they just couldn't change their feelings like John had. Mm -hmm. They were just too broken to be fixed. And then they feel like failures. Yes. Like, here's this guy that could do it. Yes. And, and society made him feel kind of way. Yep. Yep. It's just, mm. yep. He must be so strong and, and healthy that he could overcome this right. and, and get healthy and mm. not so much. Randy Thomas had been an Exodus leader from 2002 to 2013. He went through the treatment himself and then became vice president and the national spokesperson for Exodus. Boy, they really like to shoot you up through the ranks here. They sure do. Okay. And like, and you're a, you're a female, you're a male. You guys want? Mm. I think you should be get the married. Face of it. Just yeah. be it. Mm -hmm. So he uh, he lobbied hard for conversion therapy. He lobbied against gay marriage. He opposed laws that criminalized hate crimes. Which I don't care what your belief is. I don't know how you can ever lobby against criminalizing hate crimes. Yeah. Come on. I don't get that. Exodus more or less shut down in 2013. And then in 2015, Randy publicly apologized for his work with Exodus and also announced his engagement to his male partner. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Next on the list, we have David Matheson, who was the Mormon founder of a program called Journey Into Manhood. Mm. Yes, in 2002. Okay. This was a part of ex-gay ministry, Brothers on a Road Less Traveled. The Journey into Manhood was a 48-hour weekend program meant to help homosexual men recognize and face the childhood trauma that caused them to be gay. You're going, you're going to learn today. Yeah. Through psychodramas, role-playing activities, team-building exercises, and the old father-son holding style, what, what, what exactly? <laughs> They're hugging each other in the way that a man hugs a son, which apparently is different than the way a man hugs a man when they're homosexual. And you obviously didn't get these hugs from your dad or you wouldn't be gay. So you're getting a dad hug. You're getting a dad so hug. So you're a grown man getting a dad hug from someone who's probably not your dad. 
Right. Assuming. No, from another gay but, man. But <laughs> and and you know the difference of I mean obviously you 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 hug a, a you hug a child whether mm-hmm. it's your child or not differently than you would hug someone that you were sexually attracted to. I get that. Apparently. But you know. Mm-hmm. I mean your body just maybe mm-hmm. your intentions or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so you're saying that they hug. They're going to give you some dad hugs, and that's and that's why. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if your dad had hugged you enough when you were young, yeah, you wouldn't be gay. Now you're only gay because your dad didn't hug you enough. Now you want men to hug you all the time. And, and because dad didn't hug you, mom taught you how to cook, and now you like to cook, so you must be gay. Right. Right. So we're unlearning all of that by <laughs> hugging. Let's hug it out. Let's hug it out. So participants were started on or primed for their path to straightness. So he also had a website called Gender Wholeness, which would help people become heterosexual by sticking strictly to their given gender roles and behaviors. In 2013, Matheson wrote a book called Becoming a Whole Man, a guide to resolving homosexual feelings and behaviors so that guys can live a healthy heterosexual life. David left conversion therapy behind in 2018 and a year later revealed he had divorced his wife and now he identified as gay. And it's, so they're trading like the years that, that you're doing, like every time someone resigns, mm-hmm. and I know this is a different, you know, ministry, or, ministry mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. just like, right. so they're also, did, did they not watch the news? And right. See what the other person did, you know right. what I mean? So he, well, maybe you know. they feel like, oh, I'm stronger than him. Yeah. He couldn't do it, but I can do it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take over and I'm going to, and then they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCray Game, I don't know about that name, McCray Game, mm-hmm. had led Hopeful for Wholeness for 20 years. He started the program previously called Truth Ministry in 1999. Back in 1993, McCray had stumbled upon an evangelical conference where he realized that he needed help so he could eventually go to heaven. He began a six-year-long intense conversion therapy slash counseling regimen. He met and married his wife in 1996. Throughout the first years of their marriage, he still dealt with sexual attraction to men, and he even had an affair with a man. And that's when he poured his life into ex-gay therapy. He developed a curriculum himself to help gay people overcome their attraction to same-sex people by dealing with the variety of life experiences that had caused it. They all think that something had to cause this. Mm -hmm. He repeatedly preached that if the participants did not stop being homosexuals, they would rot in hell. Okay. Right. Then, in November 2017, he was abruptly fired by the board of directors. Nobody knew why. Then, two years later in 2019, he publicly announced his own homosexuality and denounced the therapy that he had subjected so many to over the years. And by the way, he and his wife are still married. So he's still with his wife, still identifies as gay, Mm -hmm. and says conversion therapy is bad. Now, not every quack who victimized those gay people looking for hope eventually admitted fault. Joseph Nicolosi. He's a bad guy. Okay. He established NARTH, which is short for National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality. And that's the sound that my cat makes when he's uh, coughing up a hairball. NARTH! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what a weird name. North, in 1992. 
He wrote four books in the 90s and early 2000s with such titles as A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality and I Want to Stop Being Gay, which sounds like something you read in kindergarten. It sounds like, dear God, it's me. (laughs) Margaret. 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 (laughs) I Want to Stop Being Gay. By Judy Bloom. Right. (laughs) Nicolosi firmly believed that homosexuality was caused by people in a child's life who interfered with the normal development of his or her natural biological gender. His treatments were aimed at restoring one's nature. Nicolosi remained a staunch supporter of conversion therapy, especially his own methods, up until his death in 2017. His son, Joseph Jr., now runs the organization which is called the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice and Scientific Integrity. There are still multiple conversion therapy treatment facilities. Almost all practice aversion therapy of some sort. And this is true despite the fact that it's been stated over and over again that the treatments do not work, are based on no scientific evidence, cause harm to the targets, and most importantly, are not needed since homosexuality is not a disease that needs to be cured. I'll try to do this on my downtime. I'm going to research how much money these places made off of families or or whatever it was Mm -hmm. that they paid their employees. Mm -hmm. And then how about that's how much we could have like, I don't know, donated for just to feed the world or some shit. Feed the world, come up with like... um, Homelessness. Yes. uh, Help veterans. Yes. Just any of that. Yes. So many things. So many things. Absolutely. In 2013, the APA made the following statement regarding conversion therapy. The APA does not believe that same-sex orientation should or needs to be changed, and efforts to do so represent a significant risk of harm by subjecting individuals to forms of treatment which have not been scientifically validated, and by undermining self-esteem when sexual orientation fails to change, No credible evidence exists that any mental health intervention can reliably and safely change sexual orientation, nor from a mental health perspective does sexual orientation need to be changed. So it doesn't need to be changed. For those of you who think it does need to be changed, we don't have a way to change it that isn't harmful and is effective, so don't do it. So right now in the United States, 20 states and Washington, D.C., ban conversion treatment for minors. Five states partially ban conversion therapy for minors. Three states are still in the process of deciding, like as of today, and 22 states have no laws at all regarding minors and conversion therapy. Cincinnati, Ohio, our our hometown, was the first city to ban conversion therapy in 2015. Nearly 100 cities have followed suit, but all laws, all of the laws banning or limiting conversion therapy only apply to minors and can only apply to mental health care providers with continued licensure depending on the clinicians following the laws. Religious organizations and common people are not able to be included in the bans due to the gray area between freedom of speech and religion, and what constitutes harming a person. Okay. So there are no laws 
on the books against a clergyman doing these conversion therapy treatment things Any, to anybody. Even minors. Yep. Because it's a because it is involved in the it's religious it's secular or whatever. Yep, and it's freedom of speech. That's right. So there are some really good eye-opening movies and documentaries on the subject. I watched Pray Away, which is currently on Netflix. And it, it really gave me some insight into the whole conversion therapy world. That's where I finally realized that a lot, if not most of the people in conversion therapy were there by choice. Okay. You know, but it's just so sad still why they're there. Yeah. You know, it's like I went looking for conversion therapy because, and then it's all sad. Yeah. You know, because I want to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. I want God to love me. I want to be cured. I want to be normal. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, again, it's just a complete reflection on society. Yeah. So to end the episode. Okay. So we know that conversion therapy uh, is bullshit. Yes. yes. And that those who claim to practice it are doing so because they say that homosexuality is a choice or a behavior that can be unlearned. So, Terry. Yes. I gave you an assignment. We both had to come up with five types of people or behaviors that if we could, we would want to send to conversion treatment to fix them. Because we think it's, because we think it's a choice. Yes. And they could change if they really wanted to. Right. right. So. So, you, like, you shoot one, I'll shoot one, yes. I'll shoot one. Okay. So the first person, the first group of people I would put into conversion therapy are litter bugs. I like that. Because littering is just, it's I so damn lazy, first it's of so all. It's so lazy. And it's just so bad. It's so bad. It's so lazy. Yeah. I've been at a stoplight, and mm -hmm. I've seen the person at the stoplight in front of me just take a whole ass, a, like, some fast Like a McDonald's bag, bag or something. And just toss it right outside. Yep. What the hell's wrong Drives with you? Drives me insane. And, then, and you can tell by the look at their car, they got all kinds of shit in their car. Right. Why are you now deciding to throw something out? Yes. We could shock them every time they do it. And yes. make, make them not do that yes. anymore. Conversion therapy. Okay. What, what you got? Okay. Uh, people that don't use turn signals. Yes. 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 God, that's, that's so choice. annoying. I have I have often Oof. said that if I ever get into an accident because someone didn't use their turn signal, I'm getting out of my car. Okay. Before I call the police, getting out of my car, going to their driver's side, and if unless they've got a broken arm <laughs> at the spot where their damn turn signal, whatever is flicker flicker is. Uh -huh. I'm going to beat the shit out. Okay, okay. All right. Let's. I'm just saying. That's well, I'm now doing. it's premeditated, so let's. Right. Now you're all accomplices. <laughs> so. So my second group okay. of people that are going to undergo conversion therapy mm -hmm. are people who talk on speakerphone in public. Oh, yes. I don't want to hear any of it. All right. Now, I will say there's sometimes when I hear one side of the conversation and I think I'd love to hear what that other Right, person. right, exactly. But. Nosy, but right. But so. generally speaking, it's rude. Right. I hate it. What you got? It is. Uh, my second thing, a place where you may see a lot of people talking on okay. speaker phones. What you got? Grocery store. Yeah. Why aren't they putting their grocery carts back? That's a good one. Why are they leaving their grocery carts just in the middle of anywhere? There's only one time when I'm okay with that. There's mm -hmm. one time. And that's when you have a baby with you. Mm -hmm. But if you have a baby with you, park right next to where you put the carts. Yes. Park, park next to, I always park next to a cart corral. Right. I used to have that 
that mm-hmm. dilemma when I when I had my own babies because I'm like if I put the baby in the car seat in the car and then I walk the cart to wherever I'm supposed to put it mm-hmm. that would freak me out yes you know but I mean there are ways around that you could keep the baby in the car seat in the in the cart put the cart away grab the baby take the baby to the car put the baby away or you could lock the baby in as you run quickly to put the cart away mm-hmm. or you could take someone with you so, I mean, there are ways around it. I'm not, yes. not saying there's not, yes. but yes, I agree that for the most part, it is just ridiculous not to put your card away. It isn't. So, right. we'll shock them. Shock them. Zap. <laughs> Scared me. Uh, people who have sex with fish. <laughs> I, I feel very strongly that they could benefit from some type of conversion therapy. I, I think we could shock their genitals every time they look at a fish and get stimulated by it. People that have sex with fish. Yes. What are those called? Uh, Fish fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure there's a name for it. (coughs) Wow. Jeez. Well, this is a very vanilla one. Okay, what you got? Uh, People that are always late. Oh my gosh. Right? Yes, like habitually late. Like habitually late. Because you know what? What we got going on is not nearly as important as that person's life. Yes. And if it's like, you know, I just, I'm always 15 minutes late. And, it, and it's like like for work or something. Yep, yep. If, if this is a problem, then wake up 15 minutes earlier. Yep. Wake up a half an hour early. You got change part of your life. It's not that people should, around you shouldn't suffer because you're not there to do your job or get to the movie on time or blah, right. blah, blah. Because, yeah, everybody knows somebody that's habitually late. Right, that right. just can't make it on time. Yeah. And there are times when you can be like, you know what, they're always late. If they're not here at such and such time, we're just going to start without them. Right. But there's times when you can't do that. Right. Like, it would be an interruption for them to walk in. Like a wedding. Oh, yeah. A school play. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's Definitely. a good one. Yeah. Um, people who get their medical degree from Google. Yes. There's a lot of Google doctors out there. There are. And as a healthcare provider myself, yes. nothing drives me more crazy when they say, well, I researched it. Yes. Therefore, I know what's wrong yeah. and I know what you should be prescribing for me. Right. Get out of my office. That is. Goodbye. Yeah. You're wasting my time then. Yes. So I need you to get on Google and have Google prescribe it for you since you and Google know what you need better than I do. Exactly. Drives me insane. Uh, All right. You ready for my next one? I'm ready. People that expect something for free because of whatever your profession or uh, whatever connections you might have. So give me more. So example. Okay. A tattoo artist. Okay. Okay. You're, you know, I'm going to get, how, you know, how can I get this for free? I want right. you to do this for me for free. I mean, it's, it's what you do. Right. Okay. A masseuse. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hey, you're a masseuse, right? I got this kink in my neck. I, you should just do it for for free. Gotcha. Uh, I'm sure cosmetologists would say the same thing. Right. People that do hair. Um, a, you know, if you have a, if you're a plumber or you're just somebody that can perform some sort of service, they mm-hmm. assume it's not the person that's performing the service. It's it's those friends, family members that just expect something for free. You work right. you work at a ticket office. Right. Someone wants. Oh, can you give me free tickets to right. such and such? It's like, and especially if the only time you ever hear from those people mm-hmm. is when they want that free thing. 
Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? So yes. that I mean, there's several layers to that. But I see you your layer. I see your layers. You see my layers. I see your layers. There's, there's several layers to yes. that, but it's it is it's a pet peeve of mine. Yes. So. And now I will say it could be okay if you both have a trade that you can trade. Yes. Like I will literally scratch your back if you scratch mine, or you know, like um, give me a free haircut, I'll give you a free massage. Yes. That's fine. So those that that's bartering, that's yes. trading. Exactly. But the person you haven't heard of from in six months. Yeah. Hey, uh, I heard so-and-so is coming to such-and-such. Can you give me tickets to that? Exactly. That kind of stuff. Right. Or, I haven't talked to you in a year, but I have this kink in my neck, and I know you're really good at, you know, can yeah, you just come over out. and do that? Can you just come over and do I that? I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out how we could uh, treat that, because I'm not sure shocks would work, but mm-hmm. we could figure it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we could. So my last one that I had was people who talk during scary movies, especially if they've already seen it. Yes. And they ruin yeah. it because they're like, oh, watch what's about to happen. Oh, yeah. don't don't close your eyes now. Right. We're about, yes. Oh, oh. Well, then you just ruin so it. So if it's somebody that has seen something before and they're spoiling it for you, uh-huh. especially if it's a scary movie especially. because of the suspense. Yes. I agree. But do you remember the time that we went to see? <laughs> <laughs> it Was it Get Out? Yes. We went to see Get Out. Yes. And we there were, we were four of us together I believe and then I would say it was a sold out pretty much sold out and we were four of maybe a dozen white people in that crowd Mm -hmm. and that was one of the most fun right movies I've ever been to yes because of the the yelling and the little and the comments from yes uh, the rest of the crowd correct but they also weren't giving anything away. Right. They were just making hilarious right. comments. Like, girl, right. why are you doing that? Yeah, go in there like that. Right. Don't go over right. there. Right. Right. Well, that's some white people shit. Exactly. Those kinds of things, I thoroughly enjoyed it. True. Yes, but people True. that spoil things for you, or when you're watching it, yeah. and they just watch you. They watch you watching it. Oh, I can't stand right. that. I mean, I definitely get excited when I'm watching something and I want somebody to see it. Yep. So you have that thing, but I... I don't want to distract them with my yeah. reaction. Yeah. Somebody does that to me with sad movies where they know the sad part's coming, so they stare at me hoping I'll cry. Mm-hmm. And then I look at them and go, I'm not going to cry because you're looking at me. Yeah. Huh. I remembered yeah. my uh, my fifth thing. I'm ready. Can we please fix people that don't put things in the fridge that clearly state on the container, refrigerate after opening? Yeah. Can we do that? Well, I mean, unless they die first of botulism or E. coli or whatever they're going to get from not refrigerating it. There are certain things like, you know, you can keep butter out. There's certain kinds of condiments you can keep out. Yeah. I mean, I know you can keep out margarine, like the country crop, the fake butter. I don't know about real butter. Well, you can keep out real butter. I think it's got to be a certain type. Okay. But you can leave it out in like a butter dish, like on your counter, Mm -hmm. you know, covered, things like that. You know, mm-hmm. that, but, oh, pretty much, you know, spaghetti sauce. Yep. Like, okay, that's something in your cabinet that definitely needs to be refrigerated. Yep. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things. Right. Uh, Parmesan cheese. Oh, that's like a the good Parmesan, one. The, like the shake cheese. Yeah. And I mean. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. You open mean. that. As soon as you open it, put it in the fridge. Right. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure you can't get just cheese out. Right. You know? And we always wonder about ketchup because every restaurant you go to, they leave the ketchup on the table. They sure do. All the I, time. Yeah. That, so for me, that's a personal preference. I like my ketchup cold. I'm going to keep right. that in, in the fridge. Right. But there are certain things that just people leave out. Refrigerate after openings. Salad dressing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Certain things that just need yeah. to be. And then and while if we're you, at it, wipe off the syrup before you put it back in the cabinet. <laughs> and don't put the syrup in the refrigerator. Don't put the syrup in the refrigerator. Ever. Don't put the honey in the refrigerator. No. But wipe off, wipe them off when you're done using them. Yes. So the next person reaches up and doesn't, one, grab a sticky bottle, and even worse than that, they grab a sticky bottle that has ants all over it. Ooh. I'm just saying, that's a possibility. I'm not saying that's ever happened to well, me. This just went right off the rails. It did. Okay, so don't do it. Don't do it. Conversion it. Conversion it. Yes. Read labels. So we'll set up a little office somewhere where only people with certain true afflictions, not homosexuality. Right. That's not an affliction. That's not an affliction. But things like littering and fucking fish. Yes. Right? And... I will say, if I could give a piece of advice for anyone out there, uh, (laughs) if you have someone in your household or someone you know that you suspect to, or maybe they've come out and said that they are uh, bi, pan, whatever it might be, something other than heterosexual, and you think, man, that's wrong, um, prove them how easy it is to make the choice, all right? So take a month. Now, I got this from a meme, probably. You know what I mean? This wasn't my idea. I can't trademark it. <clears throat> take a month. Say, listen, uh, Sally, um, I know you say you're, you're gay, but that's a choice and you could change that if you wanted to show you mm-hmm. how it's easy to change mm-hmm. me as a heterosexual of course this is not this is not me this is somebody else as a heterosexual i'm going to show you i'm going to be gay for a month and right. show you how easy it is to change your sexuality right so therefore so you have a job out there people that think that you can you know quote unquote fix people mm-hmm Show them how easy it is. Right. Show them how easy it is to make that choice. Right. You could do it like when you're trying to stop drinking soda or switching from, you know, regular beer to light beer. Right. Just make the change. Just show them how easy it is. Right. All right. So don't so don't sleep with your spouse or your significant other or or whomever it might be, your partner, mm-hmm. um, that's of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Start being gay. Right. Look at people of the same sex and be attracted. Yes. And find them attractive. Those of you that practice Lent, you know, you can give up chocolate, right? Sure. So do Do the same thing. Just be gay for a month. Right. Prove to them how easy it is. Right. And then then be gay for the rest of your life. And I want you to be gay and I want you to, like, hold their hands in public and not Mm -hmm. care what people think. Right. You know right. what I mean? All those different things. Just and buck the system. Buck the system. Say, this is how easy it is. We don't need a conversion. I just need to prove to you how easy it is. There you go. So. And that was all sarcastic. Exactly. <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know. Yeah. No. Because you be you. You be you. You be you. You be you. And tomorrow, your you might be a little bit different. Yeah. And love is love. Is love is love. Right. Yep. Happy Pride Month every month, everybody, even though it's July. We celebrate Pride every month. Pride in July, Christmas in July. It's all the same. Anything else? No, thank you for that. Of course. It was yucky, but... We always end it on a high note. (laughs) note. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. We will see you next week. Later days. Later days.